Hi, I'm Sam Tucker from the radio show Food for Thought about veganism and animal rights. You can find me at fftradio.wordpress.com and you're listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Vegetarian. Vegan. Yeah, well. Let's get it right. You used the word animals, but I suppose what you should have said is non-human animals. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coexisting for Non-Human Animals. Okay, let's start again. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. Before I begin, I'd like to mention another podcast I appear on. I join my good friend Andrew Blythe to record two shows, The Patriot Cast, about the Metal Gear Solid series of video games, and The JNA Show, or as it might now be known, The Casual Talk Show. We are just two friends on other sides of the world, talking about tech and topics which interest us. We often talk of the Soviet Union. Andrew was born in Ukraine. Here's a sample. This is how wacky we get. And this is just an intro. So we'll go to 12. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep that in. Welcome listeners so- to the Casual Tech Show. It's the JNA Show, guys. How are you all doing? So we know that we have at least three listeners now. Uh, which is Kelvin, Jack Ford Mac, and another listener from the United States. I'm sorry your name escapes me, but that's, Jordan, that's three listeners. That's like me and you and another guy. Isn't that great? Mm, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> how come you're not as enthusiastic about this as I am? Because you didn't ask me how I was yet. Oh, well, I'm sorry. See, <clears throat> Jordan, how are you? No, hold on, Jordan. I'm, 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 I have to start us properly. I'm going to have to play some kind of music, some kind of 80s music. As, as, oh, really? As, so yeah. are we going to delete all that and start no, again? No, no, no. We're keeping this thing going. This is the casual show, right? With oh, the three okay. listeners. With the three listeners. So we're going to do this. Okay, we're going to... <clears throat> so we're going to do this. Three, two, one. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the casual tech show. It's the JNA show. My name is Andrew, and with me today, I have Jordan. Jordan, how are you doing? Hey guys, how's it going? I'm coming to you from New Zealand. How's oh, it going, yeah. Andrew? Throwing it back to you. <laughs> that was Jordan with his smooth, smooth vocals. And now for the <laughs> JNA show and the main topic. Woo! And that was Rick Astley with his hit, Never Gonna Give You Up from the 80s. Anyway, yeah, I think that was better. That was better. There's more where that came from. If you'd like to be our fourth listener, there's always a good 30 minutes between friends available. The last episode, we spoke of lip-syncing, cures for aging, and the Microsoft Kin, another incredible product from Microsoft, cancelled after being on the market a few weeks. (laughs) We meet on Skype late Saturday time for Andrew in London, about 8am Sunday morning my time. You can find the show on iTunes by searching for Casual Talk Show. It's by Andy Blythe. Or by going to bit.ly slash casualtechshow. That's the iTunes page. I got a heartfelt apology from Elizabeth Collins. She really was incredibly cruel to me on her show. I just have to make an apology to Jordan. I mispronounced the name of his podcast and his blog in my last episode, and I didn't even know I'd done it until I listened to his 
last episode. So I apologize, Jordan White, from coexisting with non-human animals. That was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I'm just back from therapy now. Oh, boo-hoo. Let me play a sad song for you on the world's smallest violin. This is serious. Oh, who am I kidding? I love the No Agenda podcast with Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak. And once after I made a donation, John misread my message. The half million listeners of No Agenda were told NZ Vegan Podcast was mine. This is Jordan Wyatt out of New Zealand, and he runs a uh, a podcast called the NZ, which is what you say for Z in New Zealand, NZ Vegan. And he tells me that uh, he had an interesting thing to say. He said, for one thing, I don't know why a vegan listens to the show. Or is it vegan? I can never remember. But anyway, I don't understand. He likes to stay informed, John. There's nothing wrong with that. No, but he did come up with a gem. (laughs) He says that if 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 the government makes an edict that you have to take the swine flu shot because there's animal... Oh, yeah, you can't eight. have it. Yeah, you're a vegan, right? You say you're a vegan, I can't take the shot, it's against my religion, blah, 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 and then you won't get the shot. That's actually genius. That's a very good one. Maybe he's a carnivore curious. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's why he listens the to the carnivore show. Carnivore curious, that's a good one. Absolutely not carnivore curious, and it really bugs me when people who are not vegan say, I'm a carnivore. If I ever meet Elizabeth, I'll be too embarrassed to look her in the eye. She only has one, you know. She forgave me for the presenter's mistake when it seemed I had stolen her show, so surely I can forgive her the brutal crime of getting with and for wrong. You can find her show at nzveganpodcast.blogspot.com. For this episode, I'd like to cover the Centre for Consumer Freedom, who serve as lackeys to the tobacco, fast food, and animal agriculture industries telling the American public tales of how animal welfare and animal rights organizations all want to take away U.S. sovereignty and force farmers into slavery, or something like that. To read from the Wikipedia page, The Center for Consumer Freedom, CCF, formerly the Guest Choice Network, is a non-profit American lobby group. It describes itself as dedicated to protecting consumer choices and promoting common sense. CCF was set up in 1995 by Richard Berman, executive director of the public affairs firm Berman & Company, with $600,000 from the Philip Morris Tobacco Company. Berman told the Washington Post that CCF is now funded by a coalition of restaurant and food companies, as well as some individuals. It describes its mission as defending the right of adults and parents to choose what they eat, drink, and how they enjoy themselves. CCF opposes compulsory warning labels on food, bans on smoking in restaurants, and lawsuits related to obesity. It runs media campaigns and gives out annual Nanny Awards. Founder Richard Berman's Wikipedia entry mentions, Berman's companies have run numerous media campaigns downplaying the dangers of obesity, smoking, mad cow disease, and drunk driving, as well as criticizing the minimum wage. 60 Minutes has called him the booze and food industry's weapon of mass destruction, and his nickname, from both friends and enemies it notes, is Dr. Evil, an alias in which he takes pride. Berman had an appearance on the Colbert Report, where he came across fairly moderate, although that is compared to the character of Colbert. Folks, some have named my guest Dr. Evil because he defends corporations against do-gooders. I will ask him to catch my jart. Please welcome Rick Berman. 
Thank you so much for joining us. Now, you and I share a common dislike, and that is for regulation, okay? The government getting into our affairs and telling us what we can or cannot do. You're a lawyer for the Center for Consumer Freedom. What do you do for the Center for Consumer Freedom? I defend consumers' rights. So do consumers come to you and say, defend my rights? No, I figure out what's wrong with uh, people's rights and I go But who out. comes to you and says, here, here, defend our rights? I get up in the morning and I see crazy stuff and I say, we got to do something about that. Who's paying you? Uh, lots of people. Who? Uh, actually consumers, actually businesses, and then of course the average... Businesses whose consumers are being denied the freedom to use their product? <laughs> no. It's about freedom. I yeah. just want to know if, if, if businesses yes, have yes. consumers who are denied the freedom to use their product, like, say, uh, cigarettes. Yeah, well, I don't do cigarettes. Do you do alcohol? Yes. Okay, let's talk about, <laughs> let's, let's talk about, you've got a beef with Mothers Against Drunk Driving. I do, I do. And I agree. I call them Omama Bin Ladens because <laughs> they want to keep me from having a little coolie pop on the way home. Why can't I do it? Actually, you can, but they do want to put breathalyzers in every car's original equipment so that you will not be able to start your car after you've had one or two glasses of wine. What's wrong with me having a little, like, a bourbon and soda on the way home just to cool it off? Anything? Absolutely nothing. In fact, you can do it today. It's legal under the law, but Mothers Against Drunk Driving wants to see with that any drinking prior to driving become subject to either arrest or your car won't stop. So there's no, there's no breathalyzer level for them. It's just if, they, if, if, I've, just, if I've used some Purell... The car won't start. You will, ha you will have a difficult time getting home. Okay. What about, um, what about um, uh, the, you say that the obesity uh, epidemic in the United States is wildly overblown. It is. Okay. Did Jared lie to us? No. <laughs> is that what you're saying? He was never fat. He was in it for the money. Okay. Yeah, it was absolutely So, so I mean, why, why, uh, you know, why are people saying that there is an obesity epidemic if there, if there isn't? Well, it's all the people who, for instance, were against trans fat. Remember the big thing about trans fat, which most people know as margarine. You know, that's the big WMD of food, margarine. And now they're coming after salt. And they're saying all of this stuff relates to obesity. People who want to get sodas out of schools because they think they lead to obesity are actually trying to ban diet this, sodas. Where is this myth coming that eating high-fat, high-sugar foods will make you fat? <laughs> to disabuse that myth for me. I mean, why I will, can't I, I just eat a stick of margarine and chug a beer on the way home when I'm driving? I'll wipe my hands. I'm not going to, the wheel's not going to get slippery. As long as you don't do it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it would be all right. Okay. Um, now, uh, where is regulation stop for you? Because I believe in no regulation. I mean, why do we have air traffic controllers? I don't understand. Yeah. Well, you're, you're like the extremists on the right and on the left. Mm -hmm. There's just too much radicalism on both sides. There are people who just believe that almost any regulation that hasn't been put in place yet is a regulation waiting to be put in place. But there's a lot of regulation that's already there we should get rid of. What's the but number one you pull out? What's the number one you'd yank right now, something that's keeping me from doing something I want uh, as I, a consumer? I, 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 think, I think you ought to be able to smoke in your car. And there are now places where you can't. I think I should smoke in your car. I, <laughs> I don't understand. As a kid, I, no, I don't want you to smoke as a in my kid, car. my mom would roll up the windows and spark up. I mean, yeah, really, really. She so, hickory smoked me. So the so the, the, the problem is the problem the problem is obviously not so terrible because look, you're doing quite well. I made it to my mid forties. Yeah, there you go. You're probably going to make it to your fifties, maybe more. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, the, the idea of a statistical correlation between uh, 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 smoking and cancer is only that, a statistical correlation. Doesn't mean smoking causes cancer. And, and what's more, there are lots of people who are skydivers that hate secondhand smoke, and there are people who hate secondhand smoke but drive motorcycles without helmets. I should have the right to, to do eat all margarine, smoke, and drink as I skydive. As you do. Without a parachute, who's to tell me... I have to pull the ripcord. I think if you want to commit suicide, it's your business. Okay, now you've gone too far, because I'm a Catholic. <laughs> God is against that, sir. Yeah. Well, there's some regulation on that, too. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Rick Berman from the Center for Consumer Freedom. What a strange position. To find yourself defending smoking, fast food, denying causes of childhood obesity, mad cow disease, and drunk driving. In New Zealand, we normally say drink driving. The more I learned about the Center for Consumer Freedom, the more fun I had. It's difficult to believe this is a real company, group, front organization, whatever term you'd like to use. The main person from the Center for Consumer Freedom I'd like to focus on is David Martosco. I'm going to work really hard at saying his name right throughout this episode. I noticed Martosco appearing in many different animal rights movies. After searching for him on Google, I found out about CCF. David Martosco has many different interviews and speeches which you can find online. Here's a few of my favourite speeches. Let's start from square one. Martosco outlines the differences between animal welfare and animal rights. Lesson number one. <coughs> animal rights is not the same thing as animal welfare. Everybody has to get this. Animal welfare means that we're going to eat beef, we're going to eat pork, we're going to scramble eggs and we're going to make ice cream, we're going to use lab rats to cure cancer, we're going to wear leather shoes. But along the way, we really should be good to our animals. I think that everybody in this room would agree with that. Animal rights says you have no right to have that steak. It says you should not be milking that cow because that's felonious abuse. Animal rights says, I don't care if a cure for cancer doesn't show up. The lab rats should be left alone. I've always found it odd when people describe animal rights as if it's a negative or extreme idea. To me, the idea of leaving other animals alone, not caging them, not forcing them into pregnancy, not killing them, it all seems obvious. To argue otherwise comes down to, Oh, but what they want doesn't matter, they are property. Or, but we treat them well when we kill them. I've noticed that a pro-GE crops position is to mention Africa, the starving poor of Africa. Oh, but surely you don't want the starving Africans to die, do you? Do you want the starving Africans to die? Huh? 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 The companies peddling their souped-up wares have one solution. GE food crops, of course. The only way to help starving people, oppressive monocultures sprayed with increasingly potent chemicals to combat evolving tolerances. What a terrible thing, tolerance. We must destroy it. At least until the next inevitable wave pops up and the vicious cycle continues. The same position is taken with testing on animals, experimenting on animals. Ignore the footage of monkeys running on treadmills in radioactive areas until they break down and vomit. We need to kill mice to cure cancer. Of course, we don't even know how many mice are quote, used in animal experimentation each year. They are not worthy of being a single binary one or zero of spreadsheet data. We have no idea how many mice are killed each year. We have no idea how many mice have been killed in total. So how many more mice are needed? Who knows? 
Here's a clip from Victor Schoenfeld's Animals and Us, the second part. So what does that mean in terms of the numbers of different species that are continuing to be used? These methods have had a uh, significant impact on the numbers of animals used for safety testing. So in overall numbers, most recent year, how, how many animals are being used by uh, U.S. federal agencies in any kind of research? Um, the United States Department of Agriculture has an annual report of animal use. Uh, the number of animals is just over about a million animals that are on that report each year. I think it's important to point out that, that the number of animals uh, on that report has decreased by 50 percent since 1993. So there are roughly a million used each year at the moment, yes? That's, that's correct. Uh, now that does not include uh, rats and mice and birds. It doesn't include rats and mice and birds. So how many of them are being used? We don't have a precise number of that uh, in the United States uh, because they're not required to be included on that uh, USDA annual report. Isn't it the case that rats and mice make up something like 90% of the animals used in scientific laboratories? That's, the, uh, that's a number that I have heard different organizations report. Aren't you crippled by this lack of data? I mean, it's as if the Department of Defense didn't know how many soldiers it has in the world and was just saying, well, we think we have more, we think we have less, but we know we have a few more from California. I think the, the, the main issue to be concerned with here is, is how much progress we're making for each of the different types of testing that's required. And every alternative test method that we have reviewed and forwarded to federal agencies has been adopted or endorsed by those agencies. Dr. Stokes' responses had me yearning to hear from someone making quicker strides. I've used mice as an example, since they were who David mentioned. Let's not forget dogs, cats, rabbits and all other animals subjected to who knows what. This reminds me of a failing general, demanding more troops during warfare. A troop surge, if you will, when nothing is working out. Are we to just keep adding more and more troops, more and more animals into the equation, until hopefully something breaks even one day? I'd rather fight for an instant withdrawal. And if diseases are so important, if it's so essential to quote, cure cancer, why are we not taking human children from the poor? Heck, those starving Africans are going to die anyway, right? Because of the GE protesters, let's use them. Like how Sarah Palin blames environmentalists for the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, because those pesky protesters wouldn't let her drill baby drill on land. Instead... They drill out in less practical areas when the perfect solution is looking right back at them, with a smile on his or her face. Perhaps evil companies are testing on orphans as we speak, behind closed doors. If we were against testing on already forgotten humans, are we also, quote, against curing cancer? Surely there can be no doubt, if there is benefit testing on animals similar to us physically somewhat, then there would be almost perfect experimentation subjects in using human beings for human problems. But surely, nobody would argue that publicly. I know that in New Zealand, we experiment on beagles, we experiment on dogs. Yet, David Martosco used the example of mice, and yes, they are by far the most used animals. But would he also argue that we should use dogs and cats for experimentation? I think most people would have more of an issue with that, and it's happening right now, around the world. And as with seemingly everything, 
There are doctors who speak out against animal experimentation. Just listen to the second episode of Victor Schoenfeld's Animals and Us. I've included a link in my notes to an abolitionist approach article about the two pieces as well as Schoenfeld's article, The Five Fatal Flaws of Animal Activism. I am against experimenting on animals because I don't see a difference between experimenting on an unwilling mouse and an unwilling man. If there were a sure cure to cancer by testing on a single man, I would gladly volunteer for the good of mankind, possibly womankind as well. We are from different planets, who knows how similar we are. But there's not any guarantees, and so I haven't donated my living body to science just yet. David Martosco also has the term eumaniac, quite humorous. So anyway, um, <laughs> I'm here to give you a, a quick tutorial on how to deal with the humaniacs. And by humaniacs, I don't mean people in your neighborhood who like the idea of treating animals humanely. I think that describes everybody in this room. The humaniacs are people who make it their life's mission to use the concept of humane treatment of animals in order to hobble you, to drive you out of business, and to change the landscape of American life and culture. That's who I mean. I mean the real animal rights extremist whose philosophy says that you shouldn't be allowed to do what you do, and you certainly shouldn't be proud of it. I have nothing against farmers personally, just as I try not to have anything against people who eat or wear animal products. I have absolutely no desire to use animals. I feel quite sick just seeing others wearing leather, drinking milk or eating meat. I was upset when my primary school principal came up to me recently and placed her leather gloves on my back and chest. I find leather revolting, absolutely awful. I'd rather step barefoot in chicken poo than to touch leather, absolutely. Those little friends of mine make a hell of a mess in a short time. Six chickens all sleeping in the same spot. They can make quite a mess within a week. I properly clean the chicken coop each week. I can always wash away chicken waste. I can't bring an animal back to life and return his or her skin. I do admit, I won't stay in the same room as someone eating chickens. That's my limit, to think about how my friends can see and want to pet my little friends and to talk about how hungry they are for chicken meat, it's just sick. I know that my soft little friends are no different to any of the billions of chickens killed each year solely for our pleasure and I just can't be around people eating my little friends. You might call me a speciesist for getting upset over chickens in particular, I guess I'm guilty as charged. Anyone listening will know how much I love chickens. It would be great if the California dairymen could get Oprah on their side. You know, that would be like the ultimate celebrity endorsement. And I reminded him that, that Oprah did a vegan cleanse once a year or two ago. 21 days, ate nothing but plants, roots, and berries. And I said, you know, I went vegan once. Um, it was the longest 30 minutes of my life. <laughs> Californian dairymen? As in California cows, like these ads? Hey, there's Canadian Kirsten, the new girl. She's from a foreign country. Nice to meet you. I'm so excited to be a California happy cow. Ooh. Anywho, I'm looking forward to getting to know ya. Okay, see you around, eh? Huh? Her English is flawless. Sure is. You'd never know she was Canadian. Mm -mm. Great milk comes from happy cows. Happy cows come from California. Look for dairy brands with the real California seals. Well, like the supposed Canadian cow, those ads shouldn't have real California seals. They were shot in New Zealand, some crappy little country on the other side of the world from California. I'm not quite sure exactly what was filmed here, I'm not quite sure exactly what was filmed here. An LA Times story I've linked to mentions 
Freeman declined to reveal the budget for the commercial shoot or how much the board is saving by filming in New Zealand. He added that any scenes involving California cows will be filmed in state. We would never misrepresent California cows by shooting them elsewhere, he said. A three-day use of a soundstage here in New Zealand is mentioned. So what? They come all the way to New Zealand to record the speaking parts? But not the scenery, not New Zealand cows. That seems bizarre to me. Perhaps someone with experience in commercials can explain the situation to me by email. I'd think any scenes involving California cows will be filmed in state could be a trick, that simply no California cows would be included at all. We would never misrepresent California cows by shooting them elsewhere. Yeah, well it wouldn't make much sense to fly cows to the other side of the world with you in first class, would it? If anyone can explain, please email me. Here's another clip of a quote, Happy Cow. For my audition to become the next Happy California Cow, I will perform a song I wrote. California, my heart is set on you. I want to be in California. C to the A to the California. Great milk comes from happy cows. Happy cows come from California. Look for dairy brands with the real California seals. Choose Kathy, yeah. That song couldn't make anyone buy anything. If shot today, this would be far more appropriate. You did travel the world to New Zealand to film in New Zealand. California, California. Let me welcome everybody to the wild, wild west. A state that's untouchable like Elliot Ness. The track hits your eardrum like a slug to your chest. If you're going to come to my country and film New Zealand cows, at least bring the best of your music. Well, I wouldn't consider Katy Perry your best, but Dr. Dre, he's definitely a national treasure, especially when he brought in universal health care, and he'll probably have something to do with promoting medicinal marijuana use. It's hard to believe that adverts espousing how great California is, the eighth largest economy in the world, Silicon Valley, the setting of Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, and you have to come to a minor nation, four million strong, to film, quote, California cows. You might have heard that recent one-liner, it's like getting a vegan to butcher your meat. Well, this vegan just fixed your ads, the worst animal rights own goal, since vegetarian Michael Jackson popularized the leather jacket. Now here's a clip on hypocrisy. Humongous hypocrisy. We did the research. We ran the FOIA requests by the state of Virginia government to get the records to prove the case, and we communicated it to the public. Again, there's no tooth fairy here. Somebody's got to do it. We ran this ad in the New York Times. Who killed more animals, Michael Vick or PETA? Makes you say, oh my goodness, that, 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 that's right. Now, I'm not saying that PETA beat the animals senseless or made them fight each other, but look, if you're PETA, those two things shouldn't matter. Therefore, the, 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 the no compromise, total animal liberation. They want every animal to have a chance at life, or so their press materials say. I'm not saying they were as vicious as Michael Vick. I'm just saying they killed hundreds of times more animals. Now, thousands of times. That number is half again as big today. I've mentioned before the number of animals killed by Peter. I am not a vet. I could never put down an animal. 
I've been with family pets as it's happened before and found it awful. I couldn't do it. I guess there will always be cases where killing animals and putting them to sleep really is the best we can do, such as if you find an animal hit by a car with no hope for recovery. I don't think I could do it, but I guess it might be necessary. I can understand if animal shelters put down animals. I think it's just horrible. I think it's awful, but maybe it is needed. I don't know. I'm not a vet. The thought that every day unwanted animals are killed, though, because they're taking up space and requiring food, it's tragic. I can understand killing fatally injured animals, though. I cannot defend Peter, how they seem to kill nearly every animal they take in. I think that's shocking and horrible, and it deserves all the media coverage possible. But for this Centre for Consumer Freedom, to use this against Peter, an animal welfare group that claims to be animal rights, Oh my gosh, Peter kills animals. Get real. Your corporate overlords, let's call them the meat industry, they kill far more animals each year than Peter have in their entire history. 56 billion land animals each year. If you believe it's wrong to kill animals while working for the meat industry, you're simply wrong. You've shot yourself in the foot a thousand times over. I don't want to defend Peter. I try to avoid mentioning them while talking about veganism, but sometimes they just come up. I think many people around the world know of Peter, and they see animal rights as meaning Peter. If I mention I'm vegan online, I get people launching into attacks about how Peter kills thousands of animals each year. I'm glad to have a logo, Vegans Against Peter, on my blog, and also to know I'm not the only vegan who disagrees with them. Hi Jordan, Barbara DeGrand here. Honestly, I would not trust PETA with a dog or cat or any other animal for a second. They have an odd way of thinking rescue means euthanasia, and I do not support them at all. They run a death mill they call a shelter of last resort, and they kill thousands of healthy animals every year without even trying to place them. I want nothing to do with any of them. My experience has been more that the dogs and cats that are abandoned or tossed aside prowl the streets looking for me or anyone else to help save them from certain death, being hit by a car, or sent to a shelter with less than 50% chance of survival. Right now I'm showcasing these animal refugees on the Dallas Vegan Culture Examiner from both SBCA of Texas and Prairie Paws Animal Adoption Center. My roommate is a third strike refugee who is now very confident and affectionate but it took several years for her to overcome her distrust of our species. Who can blame her? I would add that to be considered an animal rights activist, one would have to actually care about the lives of animals. All animals. While domestication has caused many cruelties to befall the animals, the resultant animal refugees need us to help them. Thanks for thinking of them, Jordan. I appreciate all you do to get the word out on their behalf. You can find Barbara at veganacious.com. She also has a terrific podcast edition which you can find on iTunes. Just search for Veganacious. Vegan, A-C-I-O-U-S. I'm going to revisit Peter killing animals on my next episode about Penn and Teller. There was also this somewhat obvious, somewhat shocking fact. In, in unguarded moments, like at their, at their own internal meetings where we have been known to sneak somebody in, because two can play at that game, they'll say this, we have to reduce the number of animals raised for food. I guess it's to be expected. I look at meat trade websites and post on farming websites. 
I've never lied or hidden to secretly film farmers though. I think that's more than a little creepy, although I do watch the footage that's sent around the internet and included in documentaries such as The Animals Film and Earthlings. You know, we did a, a feature slide segment on Anderson Cooper. The San Francisco Chronicle was critical of PETA for killing 97% of the adoptable dogs, cats, and puppies and kittens that come in, and then having the gall to complain to everybody else about eating a steak or yelling at the President of the United States for swatting a fly. I must comment on this downright lie. As you probably know, I do not agree with PETA. However, when things are said against PETA in the media, people associate those feelings with animal rights, even when it's just another silly PETA welfare stunt. I've heard this lie multiple times from different sources. According to Peter, they were hounded by the press for comment when President Obama killed a fly in a video. I'll read from the Peter blog, which I've linked to in my show notes. I think it's the first time I've ever linked to Peter. Well, I guess it can't be said that President Obama wouldn't hurt a fly. The commander-in-chief was recently pestered by a fly during an interview. He swatted at the insect and killed the little guy instantly. Believe it or not, We've actually been contacted by multiple media outlets wanting to know Peter's official response to the executive insect execution. In a nutshell, our position is this. He isn't the Buddha. He's a human being, and human beings have a long way to go before they think before they act. If all this has you wondering how you can be a bigger person, figuratively as well as literally, in your dealings with exoskeletal beings, check out our handy dandy bug catcher, one of which we are sending to President Obama for future insect incidents. Good old welfare groups and their ads for things they sell, eh? I myself have a favourite plastic container for catching insects inside, to return them to my garden. It's a cup-sized chewing gum container with a clear plastic hinged lid. I place the cup section over the insect and carefully close the lid. Simple. I brought some chewing gum for a couple bucks a few years ago and still have a bug catcher to this day. It's not as if it's difficult to gently place bugs outside. Just today, I found a massive stick insect as I walked home. He or she was sitting on the pavement, looking terrifying. How such a gentle herbivore can look so scary, I don't know. They have mouth parts like a human hand, with fingers that rasp at leaves. They look a lot like a lobster up close. I took this massive little girl or guy home, and released the insect on some bushes. I've found stick insects there before, I know they like eating that plant. Many people I know would have actually stomped the stick insect, Perhaps they would have been curious about such an unusual bug, but I think most people would have killed him or her. I remember my own father as he was chopping down a tree. His axe was swinging towards the tree trunk when I noticed a stick insect. I yelled at him to stop, and very angrily he barely missed. He couldn't believe I had stopped him. If he hadn't, I probably would have grabbed the handle of the axe and deflected it from the tree. He would have cut the stick insect in half without a care in the world. I also know that his cat likes pulling the legs of stick insects apart. They are so slow moving and they freeze in an attempt to hide, while cats just pull them to bits. I sometimes find stick insect legs in the garden. I have no idea how anyone could fail to appreciate the stick insect. I have a personal story, when a stick insect truly saved my life, but perhaps that's for another time. I'll link to photos of this latest stick insect on my blog soon. Peter never went ballistic over, quote, Flygate, as is often claimed. They were asked for statements, and from what I just read, it was quite fair, not extreme in any way. 
It's logical that someone who truly respects animals would want flies to not be crushed, to instead be put outside. And Peter never went to the media about the video. The media were kicking down Ingrid Newkirk's door, according to Peter. If someone came to my world-famous blog asking for my comment, I would have said the same thing. I think any vegan would have. Of course, we can't be seen as endorsing those crazy animal rights radical extremists. So when something positive, or at least non-extreme, comes from an animal welfare slash animal rights group, it can never be mentioned in the mainstream media. I don't like or agree with Peter, but the truth is the truth. This Flygate story reminded me of another myth of the British quote, Loony left, radical left-wing politicians coming up for some decree against the nursery rhyme, Bar Bar Black Sheep. I've linked to a Wikipedia article. Briefly, a few newspapers mentioned a private school which had apparently banned the nursery rhyme, saying it was racist. A new version had been thought of, Bar Bar White Sheep, before the song was banned altogether. This all occurred at one nursery school and was far from some liberal fiat forced upon the entire country. This spiralled into Bar Bar Rainbow Sheep and talk of, quote, political correctness gone mad. I quite like the idea of animal rights propaganda nursery rhymes, though, with truth to them. Bar bar vegan sheep, have you any wool? Yes, Jordan, yes, Jordan, and thank you for allowing me to keep my own skin. I'm not very good with writing nursery rhymes, although I'd like to write a children's book about chickens, The Hungry Hungry Hen Friend, a rip-off of Hungry Hungry Hippos. As a demonstration of just how hungry chickens can get, have a look at my recent YouTube video of my little friends. You can find it on my blog or by going to bit.ly slash chicken S-A-X. You'll understand after hearing the video. That's a position that I don't think anybody in this room should agree with, because I think it's tearing at the fabric of American society. Yes, David, it's an outrage when someone advocates leaving animals alone and not treating them like property. I also have an interview with, of David with Alex Jones. We really have nobody half as crazy as Jones in New Zealand. I think our right-wingers would overdose if they ever heard his rants. I'm just going to leave these comments by themselves. I, fi I find them outrageous, but almost hilarious at the same time. They take, you know, 15 seconds or two minutes of a piece of video in upstate New York and say that's representative of what dairy farming is. No, it's not. You know that it's not. I could go, I could go into to, to the home of some uh, Humane Society of the United States member, and if I spent 80 hours filming secret camera footage, I could probably find them doing something unkind to their household cat. Would that mean they're a bad person? Heck no. Should they probably be out of the business if they're abusing animals on, on a large scale? Absolutely. And she said it was the craziest thing. They would pressure the employees to go, and I thought this person was kind of crazy at first. I mean, years later I found out she was telling me the truth. I found it hard to believe. But I knew them and knew they weren't liars. And they said that Peter would pressure them to go get animals from the local shelter claiming they were adopting them to then take them back and that they would, you know, that she learned they were getting off on lethal injecting them. And she said, I'm here to help animals. I'm not here to be part of this and left. Most people don't get a view in the inside trappings. It was also stuff like close the doors. We've got hamburgers, double beef burgers. And folks, well, I'm on record saying that over a decade ago, and now it's become mainstream news the last few years, their crazy behavior. So, David, uh, you, you, you've been uh, heading up one of the groups that's been exposing these uh, freaks. Uh, tell us about it. 
Well, you you set it up really very well, Alex. Um, you know, PETA, the people who tell us that we, we're not allowed to use or kill animals for any purpose, including medical research to cure cancer, it uh, turns out their their views are so extreme that even they can't toe the line. Well, it's just like they're always catching cops that are involved in child pornography investigations trying to fly across the country to meet with a five-year-old. Uh, you know, statistically, it's the truancy officer on average, you know, that's the highest rate of that. It's the same thing with PETA. At the higher echelons, uh, one of her friends that she worked out with said, hey, do you want to come over here and, uh, you know, get a job? And, 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 and it was like a cult. She was only there a few months. It was mainly people outside of it never knew what happened. She happened to get right in to the inner circle, and she said it was completely insane. And you know, and, and and she left you know pretty fast. And then she was telling me that they would pressure him to get animals and then kill him. She would never do that. Uh, but it, it, it it's a transhumanist eugenicist death cult. Peter Singer, <laughs> she said. Uh, no, seriously, Peter Singer. No, she I, said, lo I love I love the language, a colorful language. You're you're increasing my vocabulary here. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm, but I'm not even joking. Is my point. Peter Singer is their patron saint, and he's the guy that says children are like mackerel. And I'm sure you've heard Obama administration officials have said you should even be able to kill babies after they're born. So this is a anti-life thing. Period. Correct. And yeah, these really are despicable people. They've got uh, the bioethicist movement that says, well, Daschle wrote in a book, if you're old, you're supposed to go blind and die. You're not going to get health care. I mean, he said that because humans are bad. And you're right. Got to kill your animals. No more dogs. No more cats. Basset hounds will be extinct. German shepherds. Nothing we made, nothing we bred will stay. Everything will die. They will kill all your cats, kill all your dogs. Again, it's hard for people to believe Jeffrey Dahmer grabbed people off the street and injected them with acid in the brain. But he existed. The real Jeffrey Dahmers get power. They con well-meaning people to help them. Once she found out they were pressuring the lower-level people to get animals and then they would lethally inject them there at the office, she said, what, what in the world is this? And they said, listen, these are invasive species. We want to kill all pet animals, all dogs, all cats. You're they right. Are you know, you know you, you've ever seen the uh, the bumper sticker that says, think globally and act locally? Yes. PETA is acting locally. They're trying to take as many pets out of circulation as they can because their philosophy holds that if, so, if more and more Americans have pets in their households, then that's another sort of, as you say, an invasive species that's going to be drained on resources and protein and, and all this stuff. So they just want to eliminate them, and they're doing it in their own little corner of God's green earth. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I've done the research. I, I made the film Endgame, and I'm just not joking with listeners. These are, this is an energy cult. And if they can tax carbon, if they can tax all the meat first, which they're now passing, get that control in, th the top echelons of this are totally cold-blooded. They don't believe any of it. It's T-bone steaks, <laughs> finest wines, and it's all about control. It's all about dominating and feudalism and serfdom. Go ahead. Well, I think I think that's one way of putting uh, another thing that I've said quite a lot, which is that um, you know the, today's activists, especially those coming from the left, want to control society through its food, its labor, and its energy. In fact, uh, David, didn't they just catch one of them like a year ago throwing hundreds of animals in a in a trash can uh, illegally? I mean, these are ghoulish, crazy people, and it's they're so crazy, people can't believe they're really doing this. That's correct. A few years ago, the summer of 2005, uh, police in a, a town called Ahoski, North Carolina, caught two PETA employees uh, throwing 34 dead animals into a trash dumpster behind a grocery store. 
And at the time, um, they had just literally hours before picked up these poor animals from a shelter and from a veterinarian. And in many cases, these animals didn't make it out of the parking lot alive. And they yeah, were killed they, in the back of the van and then tossed into a dumpster. But that's what I mean. They're like grave diggers. It, it really is pretty sick, frankly. Did you know that PETA has taken a $9,700 tax deduction for a giant walk-in freezer at its headquarters building? And in the trial of those two employees, one of PETA's managers uh, conceded that the, the, the walk-in freezer, and we're talking about a, a place, a freezer bigger than my office, is just for storing dead bodies of animals. And they've, see, they've got a, a crematory service that comes once a month to pick up the dead one. But see, that's what I'm talking about. It's They're obsessed with death. I mean, my wife said, because she was just immediately in the upper sanctum of it, uh, that... It was humans are evil. We got to get rid of humans. This is just getting people ready for it. So suddenly, the, the teenagers, which is sort of their uh, their fear trough of new members and new employees, don't believe that PETA is as pure as the driven snow anymore. They see them as somewhat, somehow compromised. Which but I think it's is more great. than that. I won't even say the stuff she told me. It's I mean, rolling around on 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 uh, on on desk with 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 Wendy's hamburgers, laughing insanely. I mean, these people well, are completely out of their minds. I have to see to believe. I, I, have to, I can't tell you, I've talked to a few restaurateurs in Norfolk who tell me about some of the PETA employees who sneak away for chicken sandwiches at lunch. Um, so I, I know that, that not everybody who works there is a true believer. But, uh, no, you know, no, she told the, me the story of one of their main spokesmen. He's a guy laughing and giggling. And, and she's like, what are you doing? You know, she's a big vegetarian, at least was then. She now eats meat. Laughing and, and literally laughing, leaning back and eating a hamburger. That's the story. Whoa, I hope you were sitting down for all of that. To be fair, that was mostly Alex Jones, but David knew who he was being interviewed by and seemed to agree with what was said. Unbelievable anecdotes. I had some lame attempt at a joke, asking other vegans to join me in saying that I couldn't believe Peter were half as crazy as what Alex and David would have you believe. I would also like to mention I'm vegan. I do not secretly desire to eat animal byproducts, no interest at all. I think you'd have to be Alex Jones level crazy to suggest what we do to animals. In an originally vegan world, you'd be thought insane for suggesting we force cows into pregnancy, that we cut beaks and tails off, that we keep chickens in cages. Whatever non-vegan use you might force upon chickens, nothing beats petting your little friends as they eat grain from your hand. Here's my last clip. I want to make sure everybody understands that, that um, you know, while PETA is sort of the nutcase fringe of the animal rights world, they're by no means the biggest threat to everybody's freedoms. Uh, I mean, PETA is kind of a national joke. Everybody understands that they're just there for comic relief value. Of course PETA is not the worst threat to your freedom. It's not like they have WMDs. I don't think that the big bombshell that Peter killed thousands of animals a year is so shocking when your back has killed billions. I agree, Peter is a big joke. I hate their sexist campaigns and how they spend so much money to get so little achieved. I hate that they kill so many animals it seems highly excessive. Surely those animals could be found loving homes. Who knows the total cost for each one of their declared victories when probably the meat industry would probably have switched in their own time. Most of the successful welfare changes seem to also be more efficient. Peter even announced the savings for the slaughterhouses. I can't agree with Peter. I want to help animals now, not in 50 years when some law change to increase cage sizes for atoms comes into effect. Now. 
Animal rights helps all animals, so I promote veganism. You know who really sounds like a threat to our freedoms, though? An evil front group funded by massive corporations peddling tobacco, fast food, and animal byproducts that pretends to be looking out for the little guy. Don't be fooled. Thank you for listening to Coexisting with Non-Human Animals. You can find the script for this episode, as well as downloads for every episode of Coexisting with Non-Human Animals at coexistingwithnonhumananimals.blogspot.com. If you want to contact me, even just to say you've listened, send an email to jwontdart at gmail.com, or on Twitter, twitter.com slash j-a-y-w-o-n-t-d-a-r-t. I'd appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Away from the notion of animals as things and toward the moral personhood of animals. The choice is ours. If you're not vegan, go vegan. It's easy. It's better for you. It's certainly better for the planet. And most importantly, it's the morally right thing to do.